Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. Friends, this sermon is part two uh, in a two-part series of sermons on God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And one of the joys of being in the internet age is that sermons can be reported, recorded and posted online. And so if some of this sermon gets away from you a little bit, if it's lost its context for you, um, you know, epiphanyligonier.org slash sermons, right? Um, uh, because uh, in our last reading, we talked about um, the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city, this ancient and unique affront to a God who loves and cares for the world that he created. We talked about how in God's eyes, this city, um, this city and its suburbs represented uh, sort of the equivalent of like orcs or um, cattle rustlers or the, the villains who twirl their mustaches and tie respectable young women to railroad tracks. Um, that, that the city of Sodom and its surrounding suburbs, the cities of the valley as the text calls them, uh, they are uh, something that is a unique affront to the world that God had created. And so God um, intends to destroy the whole thing, uh, to level it uh, to the ground. And it will be quite the object lesson for Abraham to witness. It will be a story for him to pass on to his own generations from time to come about what happens when we pervert and twist the values given to us by God. And so it really is hard to overstate the seriousness of what we're reading today. Sodom is truly a wicked city, and God has no trouble wiping it from the face of the earth. It's a scorched earth, literally scorched earth policy. The text says that uh, the fire and the brimstone burned what grew on the ground. We know God is capable uh, from some serious punishment in our sermon series so far. We've been going through the book of Genesis, and it wasn't that long ago. It was uh, last June where we looked at uh, Noah and the flood, a story that is thematically similar about God punishing the world. And in that instance, God did it with water and flood, but then he said, you know what, maybe not again. Uh, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, but now we see God using the opposite. It's fire and brimstone instead of water and flood. And there's something tremendous in our mind's eye about fire falling from heaven and consuming the wicked. It's apocalyptic. It's scary stuff. And in our reading, um, as God's judgment presents itself, what we see in our reading today is a number of people responding to the news of God's judgment uh, in their own time which actually reflects how people respond to news of God's judgment in our time. That's what I want to look at today. Um, what we see in our reading is that as God's judgment is announced, the, the people in our reading respond in a number of different ways, and most of them are not good. And I want to go through them together with you right now. The first way that someone responds to news of God's judgment is through laughter. Laughter. Um, because the first people to hear of this coming judgment of God are Lot's future sons-in-law the people his daughters are betrothed to. And when they are given the news, hey, God's coming to destroy the city, we need to get out, they respond with this sort of mix of laughter and derision. The text says they thought he was jesting. 
uh, that they thought Lot had come to them with this news and they said, what are you, you kidding me? Um, And so despite the events that had happened earlier, which we talked about last week with the rowdy mob and blinding light, Lot's future son-in-laws are in this sort of state of disbelief. You know, are you kidding me, Lot? Like, are you joking? Are you in your right mind here? And when we talk about law, God's law, this kind of denial and derision and rejection isn't that uncommon in the year 2020. When we say God's fire and brimstone is coming for the worst of us, we say people like, you know, the city of Sodom or murderers or child abusers or junk drivers. It says, well, you know, God's judgment is coming for you. People are on board with that most of the time. But when we start getting into the nitty-gritty of the law of Moses and Jesus' explanation of God's law, that derision and laughter, um, you know, it's there. It's still there even today, right? Here's an example, right? The law of Moses um, says that adultery is forbidden. You know, stick with your spouse, everybody. Uh, It's important. Um, And it's a part of the Ten Commandments is so important. And most folks would agree, yes, that's a good moral standard to have. Don't, Don't do adultery. But in the law of Moses, when you read beyond the Ten Commandments part, this is adultery is punishable by, by death. And most people in 2020 are like, you know, ugh, death for adultery? Like, how about, you know, really um, severe alimony payments instead? Or something like that. But then Jesus comes along, and he says, anyone who simply lusts after another person is the same thing as an adulterer, and also deserving of death. And our world is like, um, you know, come on, Jesus. Why are you policing people's thought life now? What are you doing, Jesus? That's not fair. Are you kidding me? And that's the same kind of response that Lot's uh, sons-in-law have before their own apocalyptic demise. It's a very serious text, again, we're working with today. So you can call it laughter. You can call it derision. You can call it denial. It's all of a piece here. Um, that, that's one way to respond to news of God's judgment is to sort of laugh it away, right? And to, to sort of say, okay, well, j- you're kidding, right? But there's a second way in our reading that someone responds to God's judgment, and uh, it's to linger. It's to linger. Uh, News of God's impending judgment arrives, and Lot and his family, the text says they linger in the city. They aren't leaving fast enough. Um, So despite these divine travelers, these angelic avatars of the presence of God who have come to take uh, Lot and his family out of town, despite the repeated insistence, you know, up, let's go, come on, guys. You know, um, Lot's family, as the sun is coming up that day, you know, maybe they're cooking breakfast. You know, um, maybe they've, they're waiting for their cup of coffee to percolate, or they're getting their showers, they're doing their shower rotation, they're getting their hair and makeup done, right? Because the, 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 the travelers are saying, come on, let's go. And they're saying, oh, well, you know, just give us some time. I'm going to pack some provisions, you know, let me get the suitcase ready. And um, they're lingering. And this kind of thing is just as common as derision and laughter, and it's equally as pernicious, but it's so subtle. Um, the problem is obvious, right? There is, there's no urgent desire to do anything about the cause of God's judgment. And maybe you know someone who has like a drinking problem, and they'll interact with this drinking problem, by, but they'll linger with it, and they'll say, yeah, you know, okay, like I had a little too much to drink the other night, but I can rein it at any time. It's going to be all right sort of lingering there in the problem room. Or maybe you know someone with anger issues. It's like, you know, uh, this is the last time. I'm not going to get angry anymore, I promise, but it's not the last time. And they know it's a problem, but they keep letting their anger get the better of things. And, and um, you know, this happens to all of us from time to time, where we have this problem in our lives um, that's not okay, and it's like, okay, well, we'll just kick the can down the road and deal with it after we, you know, do these other things. 
And then Jesus gets involved and makes the whole thing that much harder, right? Because Jesus comes around and says, you know, solve your problems with your estranged family members quickly. Don't let them linger. And if your resentment and rage builds up so much that you can only insult them and call them names, not only are you likely to get sued by them, but you are going to be liable for the fires of hell. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, cool your jets. Really? I'll take care of it. I'll get it done eventually here. We'll, we'll work with it. But Jesus is in agreement uh, with the angel messengers of our text. Because um, Jesus is saying, when you let these things linger, when you let them simmer below the surface, when they're not taken care of, they grow and they become your own personal apocalypse. And so if some of the people in our reading linger and some of them laugh, um, there is also um, uh, someone in our text who longs, long to desire something uh, deeply uh, that you don't have anymore. And so if laughter is to disbelieve that God's judgment is coming and lingering is to believe that God's judgment is coming, but it's really not a big deal, we have someone in our reading who longs for the thing that was taken away from them. We have someone in our reading who longs uh, to go back to the world that God had removed from her. As the, the, as the family is indeed fleeing the city, finally, uh, we presume to know that Lot's wife, who in the text is unnamed, is, is at the back of the pack. She's sort of, back of the, in the back of the line, escaping the, the, the city. And the text tells us this, but Lot's wife behind looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, how exactly she went from being like flesh and blood to a pillar of salt, it's kind of a mystery. The text doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say like God punished her and turned her into a pillar of salt because she looked back behind. It doesn't say that. You know, and it doesn't say that there's something sort of divinely magical about this fire and brimstone that anybody who watched it turned to salt. Personally, I think it has something to do with uh, the salt water we see in our tears. Um, that uh, as it's as if Lot's wife looked back and saw the judgment of God happening on the city, and she broke down in tears, and there's something about the salt of her tears um, that she was consumed by that sort of relates to the pillar of salt. Uh, that's, but that's just as speculative as the rest of it. What we know is that she looked back, and it did not end well for her. Um, again, as the family as is fleeing from the city, Lot's wife, fully knowing the events of the previous night, looks back, and she begins to long for a world um, that she's leaving behind, a world which is not good, a wicked world that God is getting rid of. And she looks back, and this longing for a world that has been taken away from her, it absolutely and literally kills her. It's very, very serious and hard stuff. And you see this in, in addiction, right? If you know anyone who's an addict, right? Uh, one of the ways, uh, things that happen is what, that when addicts start to get clean, uh, their sort of drug of choice, the alcohol, the junk food, the drugs, the gambling, all the addictions, when, when the addiction goes away, the things that they were sort of psychologically medicating themselves from begin to flood back. And so they begin to remember, you know, all the money they stole from their friends. And they remember the tragic car accident they caused when they were high. And they remember uh, the terrors that they put their family through. And they experience all this negativity from their past life. And all of a sudden, they begin to long to use again. They begin to long to have this sort of psychic burden lifted from them uh, by using just one more time. And so in this moment, um, when, when, when an addict goes back into relapse, it's just like what happens 
to Lot's wife. There's nothing as apocalyptic as relapse back into old ways when someone is getting sober. And this is why the New Testament uses this verb to flee a whole bunch. That later on, um, St. Paul will constantly tell the people he's writing to, flee, don't look back, run away from these things. He will say, flee sexual immorality, flee idolatry, flee youthful passions, flee false teaching and the love of money, drop everything, run, do not look back. Because he knows the danger that can come when you have this previous life and you sit there and you begin to long for it and you begin to look back for it. But the pillar of salt is not something that's sort of stagnant and happens once in the story, but it's something that can happen to any of us. And look, some of you have heard the phrase fire and brimstone preaching, or that someone was a fire and brimstone preacher. And that's a pejorative word, right? They're they're put-downs to say that the preacher is only interested in sort of scaring the congregation into behaving better. Or that a preacher is sort of standing on a street corner with a megaphone saying, you know, mean things to people as they walk by. That's usually what fire and brimstone means. And and you guys know me. I'm not Mr. Fire and Brimstone Preacher most Sundays. Um, I don't think you'd classify me as that anyway. Uh, But when the text uh, that we come to today is the original passage of fire and brimstone, I'm left with no choice but to tell you today that God's judgment is real. um, And it is something very serious. And we should not laugh at it and and sort of mock it derisively and think it's a, a joke. And we should not long for the things that God is coming to judge. And we should not linger in those places. But instead, we should do something about it. If only we could. Um, But I'll get to that in a moment. Because in Luke 17, there's something really um, wild that happens. Uh, It's fire and brimstone that comes from Jesus Christ himself. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus gives us a vision of what his return will look like. And this is part of the core of the Christian gospel. We talk about this from time to time. That part of the Christian gospel is that uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he's going to come back and judge the world. And by judging the world, what that means is he's going to fix everything. He's going to mete out all the right sort of um, logical conclusions for people's actions, that everyone will be held accountable for what they've done in their life. And, you know, when we talk about death, death is something that happens to sinners. And when Jesus rises from the dead, it's proof in full that he uh, was not a sinner. Death didn't stick for him. And so he has this moral mission that he's working on even right now to return to this world and set everything right. And um, in Luke 17, he gives us a vision for what that looks like. Jesus is going to do something remarkable. Um, he, he doesn't say that when he returns, it's going to be like that of a long-lost friend who you haven't seen in a while. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that his return is going to be like a parent coming home from work. He doesn't say that either. Um, he doesn't return like a Hollywood premiere with a red carpet, you know, where the church like rolls out the red carpet and a divine limousine pulls up and Jesus comes out in a tux and goes down and poses for the camera, Right? And he's not going to be returned like the president coming off of an Air Force One trip. But when Jesus needs to find something to compare his return to, in all of Scripture, he goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes back to our reading today. I'll read you the passage. This is Luke 17, starting at verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So he says it's like Noah's ark, right? We've we've already referenced that. Likewise, 
just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when the Lord came out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who's on their housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let no one who is in the field not turn back. And then he even goes so far as to say, in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. So what happens to Sodom and its suburbs today, friends, is a preview of coming attractions. That's what Jesus says, and Jesus repeats the same themes we read about, right? Jesus says, look, if you've got a house and you've got some porch furniture out on the top deck, um, you know, you don't have to put your porch furniture away. Don't linger with these little preparatory things. Just come. And Jesus says, look, if you've got your hand to the plow and you're doing your plow thing, he says, look, don't turn around and finish plowing the field. Just drop your plow and, and come. We simply cannot get around the fact that this world is not as it should be, that God created this world with the, an, a, a deep and meaningful intent for it to be good. And we can look around and see all the ways that it is not good. And so in our reading, um, there will be those who laugh at the news that God wants to set everything right and that that judgment work of God that's coming um, does not necessarily mean good news on and of its own. And there will be those who long for this wicked world. They've done well in it. They love thriving in a world um, that is against God's will. And they're going to long after this wicked world even after God destroys it. Um, and so there will be those even who linger who say, you know, okay, Jesus is going to come back and judge the world. But at this point, you know, I'm, I'll, like I've got some other things on my mind. I'll deal with my thing another day. Um, and so what happens is um, we are all caught up in this news that God is coming to judge, and that alone is not the gospel. That alone is not the good news. Because if all God is coming to do is judge and set the record straight, um, you and I have scorecards that we present them before God. The, the data on them is not very good. And so is there um, some other way? Is there some other way that someone can avoid the judgment of God? Do we have any other options besides uh, lingering and longing and laughing at this news that God um, is coming to judge? Is there anything good in this text from Sodom and Gomorrah for a world caught in the crosshairs of a good and holy and terrible judgment of heaven. Well, the only way that anyone survived the Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, was, to be, was because they were led away by the angelic messengers. Um, these, in our reading today, the only reason that Lot and his family escape is because, and you'll notice here, these angelic messengers, these, these embodiments of God's will on earth, they reach out and they grab the hands of Lot's family and they have to drag them out of the city. Here's what the text says. So the men, these angelic messengers sent by God, reach out and seize him. So the men seized him, Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him and set him outside the city. Again, it's this beautiful, wild mental image where they're sitting there and they're getting ready to go and they're packing their things. And the men are like, come on, come on, come on. And Lot and his family are like, okay, just hold on. We're going to finish our coffee. And finally, the men have to reach out and grab him by the hand and start dragging him out the door. 
uh, so that they would be avo- they could avoid the coming work of God. Um, and the text at the very end tells us that the reason why Lot was saved, the reason why Lot was saved, was not because Lot was a great guy. It's not because he was good. He had his own thing going on. But it was because he was loved by somebody else. He was loved by Abraham. This is how our reading ends. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the, overthrew the cities in the valleys which God, excuse me, which Lot had lived. Why was Lot saved? It's because he was loved by one of God's men. He was loved by Abraham. Lot wasn't necessarily great or good. He was, after all, living in a particularly deeply wicked city, and he was fine with it. Um, He had his daughters betrothed to a couple of knuckleheads who had no care for God's love or will or law. He was fine with that. And his wife clearly enjoyed the life that they had built in this town of Sodom. Lot was not saved. Lot and his family was not saved because they were good. They were not saved because um, they were particularly ready to go or they were ready to leave the world behind. Um, Lot was saved because of Abraham's prayers and love and care. And so I tell you, friends, this morning, there is only one way that anyone can avoid the apocalypse of God's judgment. It's not by laughing. It's not by longing. It's not by lingering. It's to be loved by God's man and to be led by him to be loved by Jesus Christ, and to be led by him. It's the only thing that will spare anyone from the judgment, coming judgment of God. Because on a cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus underwent his own Sodom experience. Um, as the old, uh, the old song says, and I wish we could sing it today, but <clears throat> stupid virus. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, on the cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. But the same judging force that brought fire and brimstone down onto the city of Sodom fell upon Jesus Christ as he was crucified 2,000 years ago. And yet, when he underwent the judgment of God, it didn't stick. That death did not stick for Jesus Christ. It came back. And so when Jesus does return to fix everything, when Jesus returns, he too will lead a family out of the way of the divine crosshairs of heaven when the apocalypse finally arrives. And so this morning, friends, I ask you, um, we come to church every Sunday, but it, it behooves us to ask today, do you actually believe God loves you? Do you actually believe that there's a voice in heaven saying, watch out for him, keep an eye on her, there are people, they belong to us? Do you seriously believe that the cosmos is oriented around the love of God to people who do not deserve it? Do you actually believe that mercy is the heartbeat of the heavens? Do you believe that even though you used to be a citizen of Sodom, you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God? And if you don't believe any of this this morning, let this story of God's judgment against the wickedness of the world be a warning Laugh as Lot's sons-in-law did, linger in the old ways like Lot's wife or Lot did, and long for the old ways like Lot's wife did. But do remember, it will do you no good when Jesus does return. Consider what the heavens offer you this morning. Mercy. Um, that the heavens want to change you to become the person that God has intended you to be from the very beginning to put you back into a restored and renewed creation as the you God intended for you to be, holy and blameless in his sight. 
But in this time and season, God is quite open to apologies. And I can't think of a better time for you to start apologizing and receiving the mercy of heaven today. But if you do believe this stuff, or if you come to believe this, if you believe in God's mercy and forgiveness and all the great blessings of this world to come, then this story of Sodom and Gomorrah shouldn't scare you. Um, it should inspire you. As St. Paul said, keep up the flight. Flee the temptations of the world. Wait for Jesus to come back. Don't be surprised when you are laughed at. Don't linger in the old ways, but flee to the new ways of God's people. Mercy and love and trust in God's promises. Because for you, when Jesus does return, um, there is only good news to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.